Well, uh, why don't you grab a Bible, or if you're using a device of your own, why don't you turn to the book of Exodus again? We're going to pick up there before we flip forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So let's turn to Exodus 34, verse 29. And if you want to stick a finger in there uh, and make sure, or put a finger in 2 Corinthians 3, sorry, because we're going to read the Exodus 34 passage first. And Sarah's going to come and read that for us. Thanks, Sarah. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on the Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face, because whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. And let's turn forward then to Second Corinthians chapter 3 and we'll read tonight's passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with this surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, 
contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Wow. We've got 10 hours, right? <laughs> this is incredible. Okay. Uh, Father, give us grace as we study this passage tonight. Speak to us by your Spirit. Change us as we behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, Pastor Neil sat in his study one Friday trying to prepare a sermon, and he's in a bit of a quandary. He's preparing on a passage uh, that packs a bit of a punch. It touches on a live sin issue on, in the church, something that he's really been a bit afraid to tackle. You see, he pastors a church that loves comfort. It's a church that likes to be served but not to serve, and neither do the members really like very much being confronted about that kind of thing. So Neil sits there in his study with a passage in front of him. The plain meaning of the text is there before him, but he knows what he should say, but is seriously considering not saying it. If you've ever felt uneasy, maybe about saying something to a, a Christian friend whose behavior is a bad witness, you'll know how Neil feels. Or if you've ever felt like you should say something to correct the guy in your growth group for that dodgy contribution he's just offered, but timidity gets the better of you, well, you'll know how Neil feels. But what makes this harder for Neil is that he himself is struggling in ministry. He's really weary. He's discouraged. And he daydreams of greener grass in other jobs. With his head in hands, he sighs hard and says out loud, I don't know what to do. Why am I even doing this? Now, what does God's word have to say to Neil? What does it say about the ministry that he's involved in? What, is this, what does it say about what this ministry actually achieves? Well, thankfully, we find our answer in this section in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18, where the apostle Paul says, look, when you grasp the glory of gospel ministry, and when you grasp that gospel ministry transforms lives, it'll make you bold. That's it. That's the basic meaning of this section of the text. And that's a message, of course, not only for pastors like Neil, but for all of us, for we are all called to speak God's words into each other's lives for our sanctification or for salvation, if that person is not a Christian. So let's walk through this passage together. We'll see how far we get. If you're taking notes, I'm going to tackle it in two points. Number one, the glory of gospel ministry, and number two, the effect of gospel ministry. Okay, number one, the gospel, uh, the glory of gospel ministry, and this is verses 7 to 11. Now, verses 7 to 11 sound a little bit like, like a go compare advert that you see on your telly, the one with the operatic Italian who looks a bit like the baddie from Super Mario Brothers. Anyway, what does, uh, what does go compare 
do? What is it, how does it serve us? Well, it puts car insurance quotes side by side so you can decide which one's better, essentially. It includes specific details about each quote, like excess, breakdown cover, essential cost, and so on, to help you decide. And this is kind of what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 11. Paul is comparing old covenant ministry with new covenant ministry to help the church in Corinth and even people like us here in Charlotte Chapel today to figure out which one is, I want to use the word better, but the text uses the words glorious. Which one is more glorious? Now, in simple terms, if you're new to these terms, the old covenant basically refers to God's relationship with his people Israel before Christ came, right? The law of Moses mentioned by the apostle Paul in here is basically, this is an oversimplification, but it's basically the handbook for how that relationship would work, right? And Moses, of course, didn't come up with it. God himself did. But as we saw from our earlier readings, Moses was the minister of it. That's what you saw when God gave him it. He went down the mountain. He went to see the people. They were freaked out by his face. Uh, he went away. Then he came back and with his face veiled and preached that law, that word of God to them. That's the old covenant, right? Big oversimplification, okay? But when Jesus came and died for sin... Uh, even as he said on the night he was betrayed, he was bringing a new covenant. It was something that was already foretold in the Old Testament. And James reminded us of that last week from Ezekiel and from Jeremiah 31. It was going to be a new way for God and those he saves to relate. We are going to relate on the basis of faith, not works. To relate on the basis of uh, of. Christ's sacrifice, not any kind of animal sacrifice that we make. But crucially, under the new covenant, all of God's people, and not just a few, all of God's people are ministers, servants of the gospel. All of God's people are filled with the Spirit and enabled to speak the word of God in a way actually transforms lives. That's your crash course in the covenants. But one more question before we actually get into the text of Paul's Go Compare. Why is Paul actually comparing these covenants at this point in this letter? You know, we're jumping into the middle of an argument, essentially. I think there are two main reasons. First of all, uh, and we've explained this before, that false teachers have come in and confused the church in Corinth. There's a very Jewishy feel to their teaching, though not only Jewishy, with an emphasis on law-keeping. Okay, they are elevating Moses and the law, right? But there's also been a smear campaign against Paul and his ministry, and we've heard lots already in chapters 1 and 2, that that's been called into question. So this section of his letter really answers back with a, hey, gospel ministry, the kind of gospel ministry that I'm involved in is more glorious than Moses' ministry. So you can understand to people with a Jewishy feel to their gospel, it's not a gospel, might make them stop and think, wow, better than Moses? Are you joking? 
would basically be the response. But secondly, I think, and I think this is the main reason, it's to explain why he's been so bold with them. Verse 12 says, therefore, he gives the reason for this argument right there in the text. The answer's in the text, friends. It creates boldness. He's been bold with them. We know from the backstory as well that we've looked at that he's been uh, with them in person a couple of times. The last time he's reprimanded them in person. What are you doing, basically, based on your immorality? Your behavior's shocking and totally anti-gospel. And then instead of going back to visit them again in order to see how they're getting on, he decided to spare them grief and, and sent them a severe letter instead, a really straight talking, like worse than the worst email you've ever received, I guess. You must change, essentially. I really hope you're seriously repenting, would basically be the gist of that letter. But Paul's overall point here in arguing between this uh, old covenant and new covenant to say which one's more glorious and which one are we doing is to say this makes you bold you're not going to sit back and let that unsaved person carry on in their unbelief just for the sake of a little bit of shy timidity nor are you going to let that brother or sister whom you have been united to in the church at the point that you were united to Christ in faith, you're not going to let this sin entice, drag away, consume, threaten the faith of someone Jesus loves. Someone Jesus has put into a family called a church together with you. You're not going to do that. It makes you bold. Even to say some hard things. Now let's go back to Paul's we'll compare. And in verses 7 to 11, now we know why he's doing it. We see Paul comparing old and new covenant ministry in three particular ways, right? He does it using this classic if-then formula to show how that if old covenant ministry is glorious, new covenant ministry is even more glorious. And here are the three comparisons that he draws, right? First of all, the glory of what this ministry provides. Picture this on the webpage, like go compare, right? This is the, the first of all in verses 78, the glory of what this ministry provides. Look with me, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, pause there, this is basically a mini commentary on Exodus, uh, this section of Exodus that we looked at earlier in our service, and actually a little bit more than what we looked at. And what does Paul highlight? He highlights that when the law was inaugurated, when the law actually came, it was accompanied by death, and it was. The law itself came, and it was written, think about where it was written, written on stone tablets. And then what about the glory of God? That's a big theme in this section. The glory of God shone where? Where did you look to see God's glory? Oh yeah, the mountain. It was all, it was aflame with his pyrotechnic presence. But they could look to the face of Moses 
which all sounds like the kind of thing you'd expect to see, except in the fact that, you know, you can't look at Moses' face because you just feel like if you look for any length of time, you're just going to die. Now, why highlight these three particular aspects of this old covenant inauguration, the giving of the law at Sinai? Well, it's because everything about them said access to God. The perception of God's glory was limited. Not impossible, restricted, okay? The new covenant, not the new covenant, though. The new covenant is compared here with the old covenant in, in a way that says the new covenant provides unrestricted access to the glory of God. When Paul asks in verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? He's inviting us to draw the contrast with the little things, the three little things he's already said about the old covenant. So where death accompanied the inauguration of the new covenant ministry, death also accompanied the inauguration of the new covenant. Did I get my covenants mixed up there? When de if death I'm going to do this all night. When if death accompanied the inauguration, the coming of this old covenant... Death certainly accompanied the inauguration of the new covenant. But this time, it wasn't a sinful people who died. It was the sinless son of God who died. As a substitutionary sacrifice for sin. In the old covenant, God's law was written where? Remember? Tablets of stone. Where is it written in the new covenant? It's written on our hearts. Literally, no, cardiac tattoos are not a thing. Not yet, maybe. Figuratively, though, in the Bible, the heart is what drives the will. And if the Spirit helps us by writing God's word on our hearts, then that means it's always accessible to us. And he helps us live by it. It drives us. The way the Spirit drives our hearts towards covenant obedience in faith of Jesus Christ. As for shiny faces, well, Moses came down from the mountain with a face radiant with borrowed glory and people were afraid to look. But Jesus came down from heaven, the very radiance of God's glory, and everybody in New Covenant ministry is now told to do what? Look. Behold him. Look, we're going to get to this next week, maybe, maybe two weeks. It's beholding his glory, through beholding his glory, that Christians are transformed into his likeness. As verse 18 tells us, this is what spirit-filled new covenant ministry does. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate, behold really, the Lord's glory... The kind of glory that Moses wasn't allowed to see are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, how do we do that? How do we behold the Lord's glory? We don't see him. We don't get stuck in the cleft of a rock and have his back pass by. No, we see through his words. His word unveiled by the Spirit's work in our lives. His regenerating work in our lives. We're going to get to that next week, maybe the week after. But where 
Old covenant ministry came with glory that put people in danger of death. New covenant ministry came with glory, the glory of Christ that put people in touching distance of life itself. Go compare. Which is more glorious, brothers and sisters? Old covenant ministry, restricted access to God's glory. New covenant ministry, unrestricted access to God's glory. That's the first comparison. What about the second? The second comparison on the webpage is what does this, uh, the, the glory of what this ministry produces, right? Look with me, verse 9. What does the ministry of the old covenant bring? Condemnation. You see, it wasn't just a handbook, this old covenant. It was a rule book. It was law. That's what Moses was commanded to preach. And what was the purpose of the law? What's the purpose of law? It points out sin and it pronounces judgment. And by naming the sins that we commit and prescribing the punishment for them, it serves this judicial purpose of condemning Israel for breaking the covenant and anyone else as well before we get even a mildest, mildest bit pretentious about our ability to keep it. It all sounds very scary, of course, this condemnation, this pronouncement of judgment, but to Paul, and actually to us, it should still create a sense of awe in us of God. It's still an aspect of the glory of God. The law is glorious because it reflects God's own moral standard. He is as holy as his law demands. No one else is holy like that. Wow. It's glorious because it speaks the truth and shows up just how far short we fall of those glorious standards. There's no tiptoeing around it. There's no wee, well, you're quite good in this area, but maybe not so great in all these other billion areas. No, you break one bit, you're a lawbreaker. It's like that. And it's glorious, therefore, because it just shuts everyone's mouth before the glory and the holiness of God. As Romans 3, 19 and 20 say, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, by the old covenant. Now, we humans, people like us, people like uh, pre-converted Liam, wonderful at self-justification in all kind of ways, experts at minimizing sin or playing it off as something that's a lot less significant than the thing that you're trying to tell me about. We're always justifying our actions and setting a level of righteousness that's based on our own moral codes. We act like God has no basis for condemning anyone. And maybe that describes how you're living today, friend. But it's just not true. God's word says we're lawbreakers, everyone. We deserve to be condemned. And actually, you only need to read that aspect of God's glory 
and the commands that accompany it in the old covenant to see there's no one righteous. Not even one. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to his or her own way. Old covenant ministry brings or produces condemnation, but new covenant ministry, let's compare that. Well, it brings something a bit different. New grace, if I could call it that. In fact, new covenant ministry explains more fully the purpose of the law as the Romans 3.20 passage continues. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through, how would you finish the sentence? You should be delighted to hear that it finishes like this. Through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe. That's astonishing. And that's what New Covenant Ministry is all about. That's what Johnny works to encourage and cultivate in his role with FIC. That's what we in the pastoral team, your elders, seek to cultivate and exercise in our ministry here. It's what all of us are called to do as new covenant servants of God. Telling people about Jesus, helping them believe, so that by being believed, by believing, they might be acquitted, forgiven, pardoned, and therefore the most relieved and the most happiest people in existence giving God glory and that they might be those who are freed from the prison of their own condemnation to live new lives with new hearts and what the text goes on to talk about new opportunities for real change oh I just don't think I can change it's so hard I look back over the last few years I just don't think I'm going to change very much don't believe that lie. It's contrary to what this passage says. It's contrary to what New Covenant Ministry says. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. We'll get to that in a few more weeks in 2 Corinthians. But this is comparison too of Old Covenant and New Covenant. Old Covenant Ministry brought condemnation. It assures you of hell. New Covenant ministry brings righteousness. Remember, as a free gift of grace, it assures us of heaven, life eternal. Now, which one is more glorious to you? Third on Paul's Go Compare webpage is the expiry of the ministry. Look at me, verse 11. How is the old covenant described? Transitory temporary temporary as a means of providing access to god it's still glorious of course even though paul's talking in terms that says oh it has no glory now in verse 10 he's really talking about a diminished glory in comparison to the surpassing glory of the greater glory of the new covenant we know what that looks like of course 
and you compare lights, for example. I mean, I have a, we have a security light over our back door. Not sure we really understood how many lumens a light should be when we had it installed, but never mind. It pretty much lights up the street behind us. But it beams a brilliant light, but turn it on in daytime. That's barely noticeable. You, know, you walk past it, you don't even think it's on. Why? Because of the brilliance of the greater light. In comparison, the brilliance of the sun. That's what new covenant ministry is like, according to Paul. More glorious, surpassingly more glorious, because we have greater access to God's glory. And Paul's point here in this last little bit in verse 11 is that that's not going to change. It'll stop one day, but it's not going to pass away like the old covenant did. This is a permanent fixture until the Lord brings in the new heaven and new earth and takes us to be with himself. New covenant ministry continues with the preaching of justification by faith in Christ and sanctification by this life-giving spirit that he sends until Christ returns. And let me ask you again, go compare. Which one is more glorious to you? Oh, friends, these should be glorious things to you. Gospel ministry is glorious. That's Paul's point. His ministry, the reason why he's been so bold with them, so free with them in both preaching the gospel to them at first despite the hardships and then continuing to sanctify them, bring about change in their lives by, by applying the gospel into all these different situations again and again and again, into their immorality and their idolatry, all the ways they're defying God and rebelling against him and listening to the, the dupery, the false teaching that they're, that they're swallowing. What brings the gospel to them? And demonstrates for us that he is happy to do that and will never stop doing that because, maybe surprisingly, gospel ministry is fundamentally glorious when it's exercised in this way. Now, what difference do you think that makes to Neil? as he prepares his sermon, as he thinks about not saying what the text clearly says and applying it to the situation the church really needs addressing. What does it say to Neil as he thinks about the greener grass of other jobs? It should help him see certainly what his ministry is about. It, it should help him see what his speaking is for. It's what it should do for every pastor, for every gospel worker. I mean, I spoke to a pastor even in the last month who just said, I'm done. And I'm just not sure I can do this anymore. Ministry just isn't floating my boat. I just don't have the heart for it anymore. It's heartbreaking to hear that. I just want to open this passage with him and talk it through heart to heart because gospel ministry is glorious. It says that to Neil, it says that to him, it says that to those of us who are enjoying it, who add our, amen, it totally is. 
Even when it's hard, it's glorious, it's wonderful. And it says the same to people who actually uh, should be doing it. Vocationally, I mean. Moving from the thing that you're doing for a career or a job and looking to do it in some other way. This is why, brothers, some of you should desire the office of elder and look for ways to lead. And why other brothers among you should look seriously into, the, into pastoral ministry as an option instead of whatever it is you're planning to do. And this is why, sisters, women's ministry should be a mouth-watering prospect for you. Ministering the word of God to your sisters in Christ. To help them exercise a glorious ministry is a glorious ministry. And cross-cultural ministry is something we should have a good reason to say no to. I'm talking vocationally, of course, presuming that we all know that we all do this ministry all of the time, irrespective of what job, vocation we do, irrespective of age, stage, ability, intellect, whatever. And we're all gospel ministers, all called to speak the word of God to the world for their salvation and to each other for our sanctification. And if we're afraid, if we feel timid about that, the family member who's not a believer, who still thinks you're in a cult, or that friend of yours who's, well, friendly to your face, but you know behind your back they've said something unkind about your Christianity to someone else, and it's broken your heart. Or when we feel afraid to talk to each other about how the gospel should be applied for fear of being, I don't know, called self-righteous ourselves, or whether we're just worried about offending someone. This passage encourages us, as verse 12 says, to be bold. My time's gone. You'll need to come back for point two <laughs> next week. But I don't apologize. Isn't it wonderful to just spend time meditating on God's glory and how he's at work through weak and fallible people like us? It is glorious. Shall we pray for a moment and then we'll sing. Why don't you take a few moments just in the quietness of your own heart to pray in response. Pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Pray a prayer of praise. Give him glory for who he is. Ask him for help. That's what Moses did in Exodus 33. What did God say? I'm pleased with your request. I'm pleased to go with you. Reflect on these things. Pour out your hearts to him.
thank you once more, our Father, for the gospel of your Son and for this new covenant ministry in which you have given us your spirit to do the work you want to be done. Thank you for teaching us that crucial to doing that well in a way that pleases you is to have a high regard for this ministry you've given us and to fix our eyes on you. Let us be so bold as to ask, show us your glory in the face of your Son as we speak your word to each other for our building up. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.